Susan is losing it. <laughs> it's a two o'clock on a rainy afternoon. Week two of spring break as a mom. Yeah. It's just time. It's not really restful. No. <laughs> uh, well, we're, we're right there with you. Not on your level because I get to sit in this dark, dungy office and not know whether it's rainy or sunny outside. It's pretty light in here. You could do surgery here. <laughs> These fluorescent well, lights yeah, are it's, really intense. It's bright, but it's unnatural. Yeah, I'm it's definitely cool. getting some radiation poisoning right now. <laughs> There's also just so many things to comment on in this bookshelf, mind you. I'm not even going to go there right now. What, what's wrong with my bookshelf? The radiation poisoning. There are so many strange objects. The, the pork, worst is the pork the frankfurter pork. thing that I have to stare into <laughs> as we record. Some Toms hanging out on the shelf. Yeah, original Toms. <laughs> I got those in Africa. Oh, really? That is actually cool. Yeah, I found, so I bought a pair of Toms in like 2004 and then I went to Africa where they did like you know how they give a shoe for yeah, every yeah. shoe I went and took them back what <laughs> <laughs> so you, you gave them your old shoes no I had my pair of Toms I was wearing and then when I went to Africa the shoes that they dropped off because I bought a pair of shoes oh okay I was like I'm gonna take these <laughs> That sounds really mean. They actually have an abundance, like a ton of Tom's shoes over so there. So don't buy Tom's anymore. I'm not going to go I'm that far. Uh, <laughs> this, this is an advertisement for Tom's. We are paid by Tom's shoes. Sponsored. Sponsored. <laughs> that would be so cool. Maybe not by Tom's, but... I Who do you wish would sponsor us? Oh, that's a good question. So if you're listening right now and you have any connection to... I bet you would want to be sponsored by... What do you think, John? Diet Coke. I knew you were going to get that right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, just Diet Coke, not even like the Coca-Cola company. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. No. You're like, <laughs> There's probably more money with the whole company. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Coca-Cola. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, we've lost it. <laughs> yeah. It is, yeah, it is in the afternoon on a rainy struggling. day. When we are struggling. <laughs> And uh, we know we're not alone in it. Um, our listeners, our parents, and we are sure that spring break was awesome, but sometimes a lot of time with your kids can be a lot. Especially coming off of a year of COVID. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> I just had spring break for a whole year. What is this? Um, like we've done this before. But we say that because Susan and I didn't go anywhere. We were just here. And Felt like every other day. <laughs> yeah. It was rainy a lot of the time. A couple of really nice days. Yeah. And I got sunburned. <coughs> really? I mean, well, your face is really judgmental right then, but <laughs> yes, I got sunburned yesterday. John. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday it was like sixty five <laughs> outside. I'm half a vampire, of course I got burned. I'm so uh, pale. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? I can't I already got my first bout of poison ivy. Ew. Yeah, I'm that allergic. Really? Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, That's I thought awful. I thought about it, and I all of a sudden I got it on Duh. my skin. Yeah, it was not. I don't fun. see any evidence. <laughs> well, it's already coming on. Like it was just little bits. You see that? You see that oh, little dot? Oh, that is right terrible. There? Yeah, not. That's terrible. Not really fun. So I'm so, so sorry. I have had it once, and it was awful. Just once? I have never been allergic to it. Wow. I got it all over the backs of my legs one time. One it was horrible. One time I got it on my face, and my face <gasps> swelled shut. 
like just shut. <laughs> it was just like we're not gonna work for you for uh, the next three days. All I saw was the vision of Will Smith from Have you ever seen Hitch? Yeah, when he gets that's exactly what happened. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I wish you had pictures of that. I wish this was a show we could insert that into. I mean, we could if we did like the cool podcast thing where mm-hmm. we also film it. I don't quite. Nobody under- would watch. That. I don't quite understand. <laughs> I don't get that one either. Is that a podcast? Then it's like a show. Yeah, I, th- I just. Did, That's uh, confusing. Yeah, we both work in youth ministry, and we don't understand cultural, like progression Ugh. with media at all. None, zero. Yeah, <laughs> I just kind of go along with whatever like sticks with me. That's that, my. Yeah. That's how I do it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense. You're right there. I'm with you. Yeah. You're tracking with me. <laughs> yes. Okay, I have a question for you. Bring it on. What is something outside of your faith that you have been discipled in? Music. Okay. Yeah. How? Um, I have been a music lover my whole life, but I think the places that I've been discipled the most have been through musical instruments, learning how to play things, either like lessons that were actually paid for and, you know, my parents were wanting that for me or learning things like I learned a guitar because I played with people who were better than me at camp. They taught people taught me how to play things like guitar or other instruments that were portable. (laughs) Um, But probably more with singing because that was always the thing I was better at than a instrument. And so I sang in so many different choirs, ensembles, duets like that was just my thing and so people had to teach me how to sing people had to teach me how to harmonize um how to be interested in things like that like I didn't know at the era that I was growing up in which sounds ancient uh you know like there wasn't the internet to just like find songs like I had to learn how to even like get into that world because I didn't I didn't know I wasn't someone who like studied that so I had friends who came alongside me and got me into musicals and like that was a whole different world and um, I think learning, like, my favorite music were, like, Disney songs till I was in ninth grade, which always is interesting to me now that I had no ninth graders. I was like, I was really, like, weirdly old to still only listen to, like, The Little Mermaid. But that's another podcast. Um, but an appreciation for music beyond just, like, what I knew. Okay. So I feel like that would be mine. Do you – how are you utilizing that now? Like, are you – teaching other people to sing are you singing in front of other people inspiring people with your awesome vocal (laughs) chords like what are you doing like somebody obviously instilled that love Mm -hmm. of singing and music in you are you doing that as well um I have always sung at church and once I was on my own that was the way that I found community in the church because I didn't like, when I moved away from my home church, I didn't really know how to plug in because I was in a really small town. And a woman who I worked with was like, you should come sing with our choir. We need help. And I was like, that is my jam. Like, I would love to do that. So I started singing with this choir. And that was just when I realized, like, that I might not have other gifts that people have in the church, but that's the one thing I can always give that I enjoy giving. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of been, like, a personal, um, I was going to say preference. That's probably not the right word. A personal um desire of mine to if the church needs help in that way that's something that I feel like I can give and that I find joy in and so I always am definitely happy and willing to sing um I like to teach my children stuff but other than like inside my house I don't teach people to sing or 
Yeah. I mean, I have shown John how to play the harmonica, but it hasn't really taken <laughs> off. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> I yeah. think you actually play more than me. I'm more of a mouth harp guy. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, one one level <laughs> note. And a didgeridoo. That's true. Uh, yeah. And the banjo. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, to go along with that, music was pretty big for me, mm-hmm. but the biggest thing I've ever been discipled in Um longer than I've been discipled in uh, as a Jesus follower mm-hmm. is running. Mm-hmm. I <coughs> grew up with uh, three brothers who were all runners, and we were raised by a dad who was uh, extremely athletic, and he was raised by a dad who was also extremely athletic. Mm. And so we were instilled with s- sports and um, to be as athletic as we can be. I can't say we're super athletic, but we were – we love to play sports mm-hmm. and any avenue of those. And uh, when my oldest brother, who's 10 years older than me, uh, came of age to kind of zero in on his focus of sport, uh, he chose track and field. And uh, because we were raised to be competitive, each brother after that kind of chose that as well as their sport to be competitive towards one another. Mm-hmm. Like I l- my first race was when I was eight years old. And when I was eight, my brother was graduating high school. So <laughs> I was eight years old, and I did this race because I saw my brothers and my dad were going to enter mm. in this race as well. And so we kind of all did it together. Oh, and, uh, yeah, I, it sounds sweet until you find out how cruel we were to each other um, when it came down to competing. But uh, it it was something, like, really instilled in us. Like, mm-hmm. And it wasn't really, like, you need to be a runner. It was, like, there was just this built-in desire because I watched somebody before me who was close to me do something and enjoy it. I wanted to go on and do that thing mm. um, and do it better. Like, that was the thing. It's like we were each coming one after the other, trying to outdo the one that went before us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, even to this day, we're all still runners. That's really cool. And we all kind of identify with that in some category. Um, and uh, two of us... Um, our coaching. We coach mm-hmm. runners, and that's what we do. Like We do that as like a side hustle. And we just love the sport, and we, we believe in it, and we believe it was transformational for us, and so we want to be a part of that sport and make it transformational for other people uh, for, for, different, for different reasons. But um, nonetheless, I've been a disciple of, of running mm-hmm. almost my entire life um, just because I've watched uh, these people do it all around me. And I convince people to do it. Like, that's part of what I love to do is, like, convince somebody who's not a runner to become a runner. Mm-hmm. And my greatest feat ever was every single one of my roommates in college, every single one of them, and I had a lot uh, over the course of four years, I convinced to join the cross-country team. <laughs> and one of those guys uh, was uh, a lineman on the football team. Oh. I had to convince him to quit football uh-uh. and then go on to run. But that coach was mad at you. Uh, he was a coach. he was a bench player, <laughs> and that's usually where I like my tactics. Find somebody who's sitting on the bench. And like you really want to do something? Come run, and uh, he did. And I can't ever say he became like a great runner. Like, <laughs> that would be sad. And now he's the Olympian known as. Um, that's not true. It just um, it was just I just believed in it, and it became something. Um, and this is 
Like I, I wanted to ask this question because I wanted to think about the word disciple, mm-hmm. and I wanted to think about what it means to disciple somebody, and that it's kind of a an unavoidable experience. Mm-hmm. Like you, everybody is being discipled in some way to something, mm-hmm. and we're in the middle of this series about um, helping uh, parents take the work of youth ministry into their own home, and we're going through the same seven categories that we we teach our youth leaders of like how to be really good at being a youth leader. And the first one, we, we talked about falling in love with Jesus and how important that is to be the first step and in, in really instilling that love for your child. You first have to fall in love with Jesus. If you want to know more about that, go to our previous episode on the series. But for this one, w- the next natural step, in, in order to grow in that love, you need to be discipled mm-hmm. in that. You need to be taught. You need to find somebody who... Um, is a little bit further down the road than you to mm-hmm. teach you and to help you. Just like I watched my brothers um, who were 9, 10 years older than me go through like the life of a runner, um, they, I got to learn from them. And then when I arrived at that stage of high school and college running, I actually could benefit a little bit more because I had a little more backstory and a little more teaching. And I had an opportunity to pass them up. Um, we don't have to go into that piece of like becoming a better Christian um, <laughs> because you've watched other people, but we should be learning from people and we should be discipled um, to Jesus, um, but also to other people. Uh, so we have to be, be thinking about that. So after you've fallen in love with Jesus, we're not meant to walk this road alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be taking um, these steps with other people. And this is modeled for us in in scripture, um, and you could talk about there's there's a lot of uh, different avenues you could go about this um, looking at scripture. But I want to look across like the a series of almost not quite generations, but a series of, of people who where this is really evident that people really listen to you, even though um, you may not have been convinced or you may be many years removed. The work and the discipleship you do now trickles down pretty far um, if you're really committed to it and you, you really believe it. start off by opening up uh, the Bible and into Luke 13 and uh, look through um, two or three pieces of scripture. So in Luke 13, Jesus is speaking to a bunch of Pharisees. And this is, this is really harsh language, but this is what he says. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. We don't have to focus like exactly what Jesus is talking about, um, but this is language he actually um, he got from the prophets. They, Jerusalem or the Pharisees or whoever, it's a general group of people uh, were known for killing their own prophets. 
And this is stuff that's stated in the Old Testament and where he's gathered this theme. And so in some sense, Jesus has been instilled with this learning and teaching from the prophets that went before him that, Jesus, you need to watch out because if you're a prophet, these people are killers of prophets. Mm -hmm. So he calls out the Pharisees in this way. In this way. Um, and going on in the story, you end up in Acts 2, so a little bit further into the narrative. We come across Peter, who is one of Jesus' disciples. Um, this is after Jesus has, has risen from the dead um, and after Peter has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is what Peter says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know this, Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So this is very similar language. And almost Peter saying, men of Israel, just like Jesus said, O Jerusalem, you killed the prophets. You killed Jesus. Okay? So you get a little bit further and deeper into Scripture, and uh, you land in Thessalonians, and you arrive at Paul, who was somebody who was, who was a killer of prophets, who was a killer of Christians. And he has since converted and become a Christian and has become the great missionary for the Christian church. And this is what he says. For you, brothers, became imitators of the church of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. So you see kind of this trickle down of teaching and understanding. There are uh, the general, we don't ever want to pick out a particular person or even a race. There's just like a general opposition to God and his plan. There's a group of people who are opposed to Jesus's plan and mission, okay? And then there are people who are for it. And those that are for it heard the, the words of Jesus, and it trickled down through to Peter, who was the rock uh, of Jesus's disciples. And then it trickled down into Paul, who would one day become the, the, the great missionary of the Christian church. And so it just shows that even over the course of several years and different generations, that the teaching from other people and the power of discipleship pushes people forward and propels them um, in the right direction. And what we get from this in particular is the power of discipleship with the gospel. Um, that despite uh, Peter's abandonment of Jesus, he came around to it and, and repented and really understood what Jesus was teaching and pushed forward the mission. And despite Paul's, you know, persecution of the church, he turned around and was filled with the Holy Spirit and pushed forward uh, the mission and began preaching exactly in the way that Jesus did, um, even though he used to preach against him. So 
Um, I want to see kind of this line through all three of those things as really important in what discipleship can do for you and how important that is for you in particular. So as a parent, Mm -hmm. and if you want your child to be well-discipled, you personally have to be discipled. If you want to instill something that is good, you have to have somebody pouring into you that goodness. It's it's a big, big deal mm-hmm. um, and something we, we shouldn't take very lightly. And so as you're thinking, like, what do I want for my child? Mm-hmm. What part of the gospel, what part of the joy do I want my kid to be filled up? What do I want my child to understand? You need that same message being poured into you. And our hope and our prayer is that it is the gospel um, and it is not something that's opposing to it. As we talked about earlier, we are all being discipled in some way, in some fashion. Um, but are we being discipled with the right thing? And th- that that's what can be really dangerous. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I've, o- I've only ever thought of discipleship through a Christian lens, but when you're asking that initial question of, like, what have I been discipled in over my life, it is really interesting when you're saying that because I, I figured you were going to say running because I know you and I know what you're like now. I didn't know you as you were growing up, but it's such a part of your life now, and I know you know me and you know that I sing. And it's interesting to see how something that is that much of a part of our life now was because it was such a part of our daily life growing up. And I, like that's such a, um, I don't know, that just sticks with me in an interesting way as I think about raising our own children of what are the, th- what are the things they're picking? What am I discipling in them in now that I don't know? You know, no, like what am no. I, what am I doing that is teaching them what's important whether I want it to be that or not. <laughs> yeah. Of like, what are the things that are becoming value statements to them of like, oh, this is what our family values because yeah. of this is what we do. Um, because this is like actually setting a pattern for them now, even though they're little. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's really interesting to me. Um, but yeah, I when you were asking me, do I think it's important? I Someone way wiser than me always would say, can't give away what you don't have. And I always think about that with discipleship of you can't give away the love of Christ. You can't give away scripture if you're not being poured into it, if, if it's not being poured into you, whether that's through a discipleship relationship or with the Bible or whatever it is. It's like it's just not going to happen <laughs> if you're like a dry, empty well. <laughs> relationship with these students is really important um the more important relationship is with the parent uh, but from our perspective and from our seat that's um, clear and obvious 
But from a student's perspective, the most important person is their peer. And that's just how adolescents function, um, side to side person. They're always going to trust their peers um, for some reason. Uh, there's always the anomaly. There's always, um, there are some really healthy family units, but there's, there's this stage of life where you just trust your friends more than you trust anybody else. So then you have to start to think like, I need to really um, be aware of who my children are friends with because it is their friends that are discipling each other. So if I want my child to have um, good friends, they have to first be modeled what a good friend is like. They have to first be modeled what it is like to be uh, discipled, and thus they can disciple their friends well and make good decisions side by side with their peers. Mm -hmm. So that's um, just like it would trickle down from you to the kid. Uh, what's trickling down from to you? So you have to think another step back. Like you're learning your style of discipleship. You're learning your style mm -hmm. of parenting from some somebody or something else. And we tend to to lean into our own parents. Mm -hmm. um, it's an unavoidable thing um, and that could be really awesome or extremely tragic mm -hmm. and so we have this opportunity to to reset that if we're being confronted with the gospel we know that we almost have this reset button <laughs> I don't want to go really deep into that theological topic but we do have this opportunity to reestablish what is good based off our our confrontation with the gospel um, just like Paul, who, uh, who thought that persecuting the church was a really good thing because of his Jewish heritage, was confronted with Jesus, was confronted with the gospel, began to see good as almost the inverted version of that. So when you personally are confronted with the gospel, you get to redefine what is good in alignment with God's will and in alignment with what is a good person what is a good father so a good person would be Jesus like we can begin to model ourselves after Jesus so we need to find Jesus like people to disciple us because they're pouring into us is what we're going to pour into these children and these teenagers so it's really really important and why we ask all of our youth leaders if you're going to be discipling these kids you need to find somebody to disciple you so that that will pour into you, and then you can pour into them. If you're it for your kid, you're going to run out, mm -hmm. and then your kid's going to run out, and they're going to go find something or someone else to pour into their life because we're always going to be thirsty. We're always going to be hungry for something. I think it's, I, I mean, every time we sit at these microphones, I just think about how it takes a lot of work to be intentional with your children. Like, yeah. I just, when you were saying that, I was like, you know, it, it, I see how these things happen naturally because life gets busy and it is easy um, to lose sight of the things that like actually do take daily work. Uh, it's just hard because you're right. You do the, those are innate needs of yeah. being taught and nurtured and, and discipled. That's like a human need, you know, even if we take that out of the religion spectrum and you will find someone to to this sounds really I don't mean this as like ridiculous as it might sound but like 
we're all looking for the meaning of life, whether that is like running is going to be my life or music is going to be life or Jesus is going to be life. Like something will fill that because that's how God created us. So yes, I totally agree that if we're not doing that on the home front, our kids will fill that with whatever is most important to the people around them. Yeah. And so we're the, we're the gatekeepers in that way of like, what, what is it that we want you to know is the most important thing that's worth spending your whole life yeah. understanding? Yeah. Yeah, and we want to um, really emphasize the, the need to, to instill this in your kids now because this is, a, Susan and I were talking before this, that th- this stage of life is so um, much about instilling your habits, um, your your adult habits are really kind of formed in your adolescent years. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a proven thing, it's it starts in your childhood, but it really becomes instilled. Like the things you pursue and the way you pursue things, uh, really harden up and and systemize within your your brain in your adolescent years. Mm-hmm. So you want to um, start creating these habits between you and your kid um, now, um, but also instilling. Uh, your child's ability to disciple others now. They may be terrible at it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, really, it's really sweet and awesome to see teenagers disciple one another. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. But it is kind of like, wow, that, that doesn't seem like <laughs> that was great. <laughs> but at the same time, it's, it's a starting point. It's a starting point. It totally is. And it, it's got to start, they're going to model that based off who's discipling them. Yeah. Um, and that's our job. We're one of the disciples. Um, they have um, the people that disciple them in their lives. But we in our student ministry want to make sure that that starts with the parents. Um, and your relationship with your kid is going to go a whole lot further and a whole lot deeper because you're going to be there a a lot longer than we ever will be. You've Mm -hmm. been there a lot longer than we've already been there. And so there's going to be this natural connection that we'll just never have. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's awesome. And that's the way God designed it. And so we just, we're here to affirm that Mm -hmm. with you and your kid and want to make sure that these kids are falling in love with Jesus, but they're not doing it outside of the mm-hmm. context of uh, their parents in the sense like you are also capable capable of advocating for the gospel in their lives. Absolutely. But you, uh, you need somebody pouring that message into you. Um, mm-hmm. We are huge consumers, huge consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are discipled beyond human. Um, we meaning like we are discipled beyond another person person speaking into us based off our internet consumption based off of our reading consumption based off of our you know surrounding environment we are being taught something so what you pour into yourself is what you're going to be pouring out um so we need to be mindful of that like a whole lot Mm -hmm. um so it's really funny susan and i or any of the youth leaders what we can look at a kid and say is that you saying that or is that your parents saying that (laughs) We have deep enough <laughs> relationships with these families that it's like, I don't think you would ever say that outside mm-hmm. of yourself. Right. But I know your parents would, and um, they're listening to you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that should... More than you might know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I want y- to encourage you in that. Um, but at the same time, 
also be very careful uh, with that. So you can't expect to just hand off um, that job to Mm -hmm. a youth leader. Mm -hmm. We have some influence, but their greatest influence, we're kind of like at best third in line, Mm -hmm. at best. Um, Their peers and their parents are always going to come before that. And we're just kind of hoping for a little piece of the pie because we love it and we want to be a part of that. Um, Mm -hmm. But ask yourself that question. Go go from this episode and really, this one's not too complicated. Um, Who's pouring into you? Because Mm -hmm. that's what you're going to be able to pour out. And is it a lot? Is it too much? Can you have too much discipleship? Go and ask that. If you don't have somebody discipling you intentionally, somebody who's texting you, checking in on you regularly, mm-hmm. um, of somebody that you trust, mm-hmm. find that person. Um, because if you want this for your kid, you've got to want it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, I know that, I, I know not everybody who listens to this is a member of the Kirk, but the Kirk has done a good job setting things up systematically. Like if you are like, I don't know where to even start. <laughs> like, please contact us because they're actually, I am doing that this year. Like I went through a very um, programmed version of discipleship and it has been such a huge highlight of my year. Like it has been amazing. And, I, but it has also helped me see that like, I think sometimes we get so focused on what something has to look like. Like, what does a quiet time have to look like? It can only be like this. And I have think I've felt that way about discipleship because I am reali- realizing as an older person just how much my friends are discipling me. I think I've always thought it could only be if it was someone who was older than me. I think there's a lot of wisdom and there's a lot of good biblical reason for someone older than you to be discipling you. Um but in seasons of my life where that hasn't been a relationship I had, I can look back and say, like, but my friends were carrying me. My friends were discipling me. And what a gift. So it's also like, you know, don't don't think you don't have this already. Is it someone you need to invite in in a more intimate way of like, hey, I need you to be checking in on me? Or, you know, like, do you have a relationship that could already be something that you could work off of yeah. already to, to go deeper? Yeah. There's no exact science, um, but there is the science of just go do it. Yeah. Um, Because you're going to get discipled either way. Yeah. It's what do you want to be discipled in? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something to think about. Uh, Here's how I want to close, and that's with a verse from 1 Timothy, a couple verses from 1 Timothy. And here you have Paul speaking to Timothy, a a young lad, (laughs) uh, a younger one of the younger people in scripture um, and he Paul is clearly discipling Timothy to become like Paul mm-hmm. and uh, he, he leaves them he leaves him with some some words of wisdom um, of how to go about pursuing his mission of um, becoming like Paul who has said become like me because I'm trying to become like Christ as well so it's kind of this clear um, way of discipleship. So this is what First Timothy 4 says. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. 
having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Timothy is struggling to figure out himself as a carrier of the gospel. Uh, He's young and unsure of himself as a minister. And Paul, who is older and a little bit further down the road, says, you're doing great. Um, Keep doing these things, but be careful. This is exactly uh, what a discipleship relationship should look like. Mm -hmm. Encouragement, truly listening, but also reminding. Mm -hmm. Like, you're doing great, but continue to be careful. Like, it's those, it's always those two things in conjunction with one another. And this is coming from somebody who was somebody who believed in those irreverent, silly myths. Mm -hmm. And he's flipped around because of the discipleship that was poured onto him from the Holy Spirit that he began to believe and was convinced. And now he's pouring it onto somebody else. And Timothy goes on to the church. And this is the message he gives to the church. Um, It's just the trickle-down effect. One thing I I pointed out to my D group was what's really cool about these messages is that you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit and the effects of discipleship for literally thousands of years because Mm. here we are talking about (laughs) it. And I, as your D group leader, am trying to instill this in you how important and how powerful scripture and discipleship and the Holy Spirit is that we're still to this day speaking these same words Mm. that were spoken thousands of years ago. There's got to be something true about that, but what's most important for this podcast episode that discipleship will go a long way, especially when it's a part of God's plan. Mm. Um, Nothing's going to disrupt that. So invest um, invest in yourself by getting somebody to, to invest in you. That's it. Go find somebody to disciple you. Bring it on. Don't listen to the rest of the episode. Just, Just get out of here and go get it. If you only listen to the end of this episode <laughs> and that's all you heard, that's all you need to hear. Go find somebody to disciple you. It's the internet version of this episode. <laughs> We'll see you guys next time. This is Student Ministry for Parents. Over and out.